Hebrews chapter 10, let's stand for the reading of God's Word. And we'll be in verse 26, and we'll read down through verse number 31. Verse 26 says this, it says, For if we sin uh, willfully, after that we have received the knowledge of the truth, there remaineth no more sacrifice for sins, but a certain uh, fearful looking for of judgment and fiery indignation, which shall devour the adversaries. He that despised Moses' law died without mercy under two or three witnesses. Of how much sore punishment, suppose ye, Shall he be thought worthy who hath trodden underfoot the Son of God, and hath counted the blood of the covenant, wherewith he was sanctified, an unholy thing, and hath done despite unto the Spirit of grace? For we know him that hath said, Vengeance belongeth unto me. I will recompense, saith the Lord. And again, the Lord shall judge his people Look at verse 31. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. This is a passage that has stumped a lot of people. Especially if you go back and look at verse number 26. Look at it with me again. For we sin willfully. For if we sin willfully after that we have received the knowledge of the truth, there remaineth no more sacrifice for sins. Some have asked, if I sin after I'm saved, does that mean I'm not saved anymore? People wonder that and question that. That's not at all what this passage is talking about. Not at all. Uh, we'll get into explaining it and breaking down the verses in a minute. But to be very clear, this is talking about someone who is an apostate. Apostate. Someone who has walked up to the truth, has observed the truth, has mentally learned the truth, and then has turned around and walked away and rejected the truth and has deviously led others to do so. That's what this passage is talking about this evening. We're going to look at it in great detail. The title of the Bible study tonight is this, Beware of Apostasy. Beware of Apostasy. Let's pray. Lord, would you help us to, uh, as we, next chapter, next verse, uh, expositorily go through the book of Hebrews, help us to understand the passage, and then, Lord, help us to be aware of apostate teachers and preachers, help us to avoid them, help us never to... Uh, be uh, in the camp of someone who would go that direction. Lord, I pray if there's somebody here tonight who has heard of the gospel over and over and over again and has not yet received in their heart the truth, Lord, that they would do that right now. Uh, they would do that this evening. Truthfully, if the person like that is here, they know the truth. There's nothing keeping them from putting their faith in you except for their own willful stubbornness. Help us, Lord, not to be guilty of holding the truth in a lie, of being willfully ignorant. Help us to be people who uh, not only see the word, but heed to the word. Help us, Lord, to be people who believe the word with our heart. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. So within the book of Hebrews, there are five different exhortations that are given. And uh, we are looking tonight, uh, verse 26, down through the end of the chapter. We'll be, get, we'll be looking tonight at the beginning of the fourth of five exhortations. Of the five exhortations given in the book of Hebrews, by far, this is the strongest. This is the most threatening. This is the hardest hitting. Um, uh, let me do my best this evening, if I can, to define the word apostate. Uh, I'm going to give you a definition here. It's a little bit lengthy, 
Uh, it will not be on the screen, but you can hear it and then jot down a version of it. An apostate is this, someone who knows the truth, but willfully chooses to reject it. Someone who knows the truth, but willfully chooses to reject it. Furthermore, uh, an apostate is someone who intentionally leads others away from truth. Someone who intentionally leads others away from truth. Now, apostates did not begin just with the New Testament church. For the purpose of the, of the Bible study this evening, I'm going to take you away from Hebrews 10. And as a Bible study, we'll be going and looking at other passages. I'm going to show you that being an apostate, leading people away from truth, is something that's been going on for thousands and thousands and thousands of years. Deuteronomy chapter number 13. Let's look at some Old Testament examples. Deuteronomy chapter 13 and look at verse 13. By the time we get to the book of Deuteronomy, the law has not only been given once, it has been now given twice. And so the Israelites are very aware of what is right, what is wrong. Again, there are uh, dietary laws, there are uh, uh, ceremonial laws, and there are customary laws, there are moral laws. The law has been laid out very clear for the Israelites, uh, for the Jews, and here we see an example of folks who are leading against the ceremonial and the moral laws. Look at chapter 13. And look at verse 13. We see the first grouping of apostates here. Certain men. Look at verse 13. Certain men, the children of Belial, are gone out from among you and have withdrawn the inhabitants of their city, saying, Let us go and serve other gods, which ye have not known. Notice here that not only are they rejecting truth, they're leading others to go and reject truth with him. Verse 13, certain men, certain men. There have always been and there always will be apostates in a crowd. Folks who have walked up to the truth, have learned the truth, that know the truth mentally, but have in their heart rejected the truth. It's not good enough for them to reject and walk away. They must lead others to walk away with them also. Turn over to 1 Samuel chapter 15 and look at verse number 11. We see another example of apostate. Now please be clear that there are different levels of apostates and some people are more evangelistical or rather more more aggressive in their leading away of apostasy. But King Saul would have been an example of an Old Testament apostate. Look at verse 11 of 1 Samuel 15. It says, the Lord speaking here, It repenteth me that I have set up Saul to be king, for he is turned back from following me. You see how he walked up to the truth and then turned away from it. And hath not performed my commandments. And it grieved Samuel as he cried unto the Lord all night. Let me give you another example here. King Amaziah. Turn over to Second Chronicles chapter number 25. Second Chronicles is in the Old Testament, not in the New Testament. How many of you got that confused when you were a young Christian? Uh, you, you, someone said Chronicles, you went to the New Testament, or Corinthians, you went to the Old Testament. But uh, Second Chronicles in the Old Testament. Little interesting history note here for you. Uh, in some cases, uh, in, in the Old Testament law, 1 Samuel was known as 1 Kings, 2 Samuel is 2 Kings, and then our 1 Kings was known as 3 Kings, and then 2 Kings would have been known as 4 Kings. But we know them as 1 and 2 Samuel and 1 and 2 Kings. But let's look at King Amaziah as an apostate. Look at verse number 14 of 2 Chronicles 
chapter number 25. It says, Now it came to pass uh, after that Amaziah was come from the slaughter of the Edomites, that he brought the gods of the children Seir and set them up to be his gods and bowed himself before them and burnt incense unto them. Wherefore, the anger of the Lord was kindled against Amaziah, and he sent unto him a prophet, which said unto him, Why hast thou sought after the gods of the people which could not deliver them, uh, uh, which could not deliver their own people out of thine hand? Now, this is a story that I've been reading since I was a teenager, young man, and I've always been blown away by it. He went in with the power of Jehovah God, he defeated these people, and then he takes the God, their God, uh, who could not even deliver them out of his own hand, and he sets them up, and he begins to bow down and worship them. And a prophet comes and puts his finger in Amaziah's face and says, Hey, buddy, what are you doing? That God was not powerful enough to deliver you, or deliver him from you. Now you want to worship it. Look down with me at verse number 27 of the same chapter. It says this, Now after the time that Amaziah did turn away from following the Lord, they made a conspiracy against him in Jerusalem, and he fled to Lachish, but they sent to Lachish after him and slew him there. So Amaziah leading the Israelites away from doing right, from worshiping God, and uh, that apostasy ended in his own death. So those are some examples of Old Testament apostasy. Let's look at an example of apostasy during the life of Christ, and uh, that would be the person, maybe the greatest, most infamous apostate in the Bible, Judas Iscariot. Judas Iscariot. Now, we don't have one verse we'll look at right now. Later on in the Bible study, we'll look at some verse, we'll look at a verse rather about Judas, how God uh, uh, really showed he was in trouble for his apostasy. But is there not a better example of apostasy than Judas Iscariot? He not only knew the truth, he walked with truth embodied. He not only uh, uh, knew about life, he walked with life embodied. He had every opportunity to be saved, and he walked right up to the edge, and he never got saved. Never got saved. Um, as we go back and read Hebrews 10 in a few, again in a few minutes, I want you to think about the person of Judas as we read that passage. Because I believe Hebrews 10, 26 down through verse 31, describes the person of Judas maybe more so than anyone else. We know that Judas had the knowledge of the truth in his head, but he rejected the truth with his heart. And he chose to go out and be filled with the devil. He chose uh, to be led away. He chose to sell off the person of Jesus for 30 pieces of silver, and that led to him taking his own life. Let's look at some New Testament church examples of apostasy. Um, uh, uh, let's look at it within the church age, 2 Timothy chapter 4. Turn over to 2 Timothy. That would be to the right of, of Hebrews there. I'm sorry, to the left of Hebrews. I got that wrong. 2 Timothy. Pastor, you're confusing me. 2 Timothy chapter 4, and look at verse number 2. And uh, let's, uh, again, Paul is, is telling Timothy here, hey, listen, you, you need to make sure you keep your doctrine straight. You need to make sure that you don't let anyone get you off kilt or off course. Uh, don't be a novice. Uh, you make sure you preach the right thing, uh, and, and it, because there will be people who try to get you off track. Look at verse 2. Preach the word, be instant in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long-suffering and doctrine. We can spend a lot of time on verse 2. Let's move on. For the time will come, look here, when they will not endure sound doctrine, but 
after their own lusts shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. Does that not describe most churches in 2019, 2020? I have to get used to saying 2020. Does that not describe most churches in 2020? People who want to just listen to preaching that makes them feel good. I had a couple sit in my office. They were looking at joining our church. This has been about a year or so ago. And they said, Pastor, we've been going to this other church in the area. It's a big church. They have, you know, a, a, over a thousand people that attend. Uh, but we're having some issues there. And I'm not going to use the name of the church. They said, we're having some issues there because when we send our, our daughter to Sunday school, they're sitting there watching Disney movies during Sunday school. They said, when we sit in church and listen to the preaching, she said, one Sunday the pastor wore a Beatles shirt to church. And he sat there uh, on a stand with the Beatles rock group on his shirt. And uh, he, he, he made some comment about uh, one of the singers, how he was just one of his idols. And uh, uh, the, 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 the illustration on the shirt, he said, Pastor, he uses the Bible, but he uses it sparingly. And they told me, they said, it, and this was their phrase. Some of you won't know what a TED Talk is, but if you do, you'll get it. He said, uh, they said to me, it feels as though we're going to a church where there's a Bible verse mixed into a TED Talk. It's just an inspirational, you can make it one more week, you got this, uh, uh, God is good, and they'll throw a little verse in at you. You know what that is? That's heaping to themselves teachers having itching ears. Now, I believe that the gospel still works, and I believe people want to hear it. But can I tell you what a lot of pastors face the temptation in 2020? It's this. We, let's build a church that's growing. Uh, those of you that know me well, and I, I can speak for Pastor Morales as well. I've known him for years. I know he has the same heartbeat as me. The pastoral staff of this church, we eat, drink, sleep church growth. That's who we are. Um, uh, it's funny, we were walking around New York City uh, uh, with the Moraleses and uh, the Varas, uh, let's see, a week and a half ago. We went to Rockefeller Center. If you don't like crowds, I don't recommend you do that at Christmas time. And uh, uh, we, we had just squeezed through a bunch of people and a bunch of people had bumped into us. And Pastor Morales said, I don't like people touching me. And, and I said, did virtue leave you? He, he laughed. He said, a lot of virtue left me. Um, uh, he said, the, and then he said this, he said, the only place I like to see big crowds is at church. Hey, look, I'm all for church growth. I want it. I believe that, uh, I believe Wadley Baptist Church is about to really numerically grow. I believe that. I hope that. There's been a lot going on behind the curtain to see that happen. But can I tell you what a lot of pastors do in order to get their churches to grow? They quit preaching against sin. They won't say what's inconvenient. They don't touch on topics that's tender to the culture. They, they, they try to dot their I's and cross their T's and be politically correct. And I have to say this, that if preaching truth means we have a small church or this is the size church that we have, then well, this is the size church that we're, we'll have. We need to preach truth. We need to stand by the truth. Uh, we don't need to shy away from a topic. Now, there's wisdom in not over-preaching a topic, but there's also, uh, there's also courage in preaching the whole counsel of God, whether it offends the culture or not. And we live in a day and age where apostasy is everywhere because they're drunk on numbers instead of truth. We must be careful about that. 
Why is it that some of the biggest churches have some of the softest preaching? Because soft preaching draws big numbers. I'm thankful you're here tonight. And I'm preaching to a crowd that doesn't mind uh, hearing, thus saith the Lord. Uh, turn over to 1 John chapter 2 and verse 19. Let's look at one more verse. This one is to the right of Hebrews. Uh, 1 John chapter 2 and verse 19. This is such an important verse. And to those of you that have been going to church for a long time, you understand that people come and go. Now, I want to be crystal clear on this. I want to be crystal, crystal, crystal clear on this. I do not make it my habit. I do not make it my function. In fact, I can say this. I have never intentionally ever run anyone out of this church. Now, I will if someone's creating division, discord, if someone's uh, uh, sowing strife in the church, if someone is uh, uh, sowing apostasy in the church, false doctrine in the church, I'll be the first one as the shepherd of the church, the under-shepherd, to stand up with the, the staff and whack someone over the proverbial head and run them right out of here. But I have never asked a church member to leave Wadley Baptist Church. If there are people who are here and not here anymore, they have left, and I've had a broken heart watching them go. Every last one of them. It's not my place. But the truth is, it's not, it's not my place to ask someone who's just having a hard time spiritually to leave. But I will say this, there are times where people leave. There are times where people don't like the direction the pastor's taking the church. There are times where people are just having a struggle in their life, and maybe they don't even have a problem with the pastor or the doctrine or the direction, but they're distracted themselves and they go. And, and, and that can rattle people. That can hurt people. Look at First John chapter 2 and verse number 19. Speaking of apostasy, it says, They went out from us. But they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would no doubt have continued with us. But they went out that they might be made manifest that they were not all of us. If the church is strong in its doctrine, if the church is balanced in its uh, preaching approach, people who are out of balance, people who are not strong in their doctrine, people who have their doctrine sideways, they will eventually find their way out the door. When that happens, we must pray for them, we must love them, we must continue to care for them, even though they're gone. But nonetheless, we want the church to be doctrinally pure at all costs, at all costs. Here the passage in Hebrews 10 is telling us, beware of apostasy. Now I want to make sure before we get into the outline that we um, uh, cover one more aspect of this. There is a difference between apostasy and being backslidden. That's very important to explain. There's a difference between someone who is apostate, who walked up to the truth, who knew the truth in their head, but never accepted it in their heart, and, and, and they slide out of church as apostate, and then someone else who truly did get saved and, and, and walked the walk and, and, and grew in the Lord, but got distracted by sin, and they slid out of church. Maybe the best example I can give uh, to you with scripture, Judas was an apostate, Lot was backslidden. Judas was an apostate. Judas walked with truth. He knew the truth. He walked with life. He knew what life was and he in his heart rejected it. The Bible says that Lot was righteous. How in the world could Lot be righteous? Lot impregnated his own two daughters. Lot was a vile person, but Lot was saved. Lot was just backslidden. 
I also want to make sure I say this this evening. It is not my place and it is not your place to make the determination whether someone is apostate or backslidden. That is God's place. That is God's place. Now, we go on the evidence that we have, and we, um, uh, we make righteous judgments within ourselves, and we must determine who the right crowd to be with, who to uh, allow to have influence over us is. But it, just because someone slid off the pew and into the world does not mean that they were never saved. Now, it might mean that. But it might not mean that. And you pray for their soul. You care for their soul. I I have watched uh, Pharisaical Christians for 35 years sit on a pew and and try to be a fruit inspector. Can I tell you, God has not called you to be a fruit inspector. Now, it's one thing for you to be truly burdened about someone who's fallen out of church. And if you're questioning someone's salvation on your knees as you're weeping tears over them because you care for them, that's one thing. But can I tell you what I've seen a lot of, especially old cranky men do, they cross their arms and say, well, I, I don't think that person's ever even saved. Well, who are you? Who made you God? Now, maybe they weren't. Maybe, maybe they aren't. Maybe they are. How about this? How about you have a burden for them and you pray for them? How about you write them a note of encouragement, let them know you love them. But there is a difference between apostate, being apostate, and being backslidden. Let's uh, jump into the outline tonight. We're going to get into Hebrews chapter 10, and we'll get as far as we get tonight. We'll finish up next week. Notice number one, the components of apostasy. The components of apostasy. Look at Hebrews chapter 10, and look at verse number 26 with me. It says, For if we sin willingly, after that we have received the knowledge of the truth... There remaineth no more sacrifice for sins. Now that uh, last phrase is scary. No more sacrifice. Now we all know what the sacrifice for sins is, do we not? It's the death of Jesus Christ on the cross. It's his resurrection from the dead. In his death, he took away our death. In his resurrection, his new life, he brings us new life. And so uh, the, the resurrection of Christ, uh, uh, the, the sacrifice on the cross. Now, is that offered to everyone? It sure is. The, the, uh, by the way, uh, those who are Calvinistic in their approach says that Jesus didn't die for everyone. He just died for some. But Second Peter chapter 3 verse 9 says that God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. John 3.16, for who's, or, uh, uh, let's see, for God so loved the cosmos, the world, uh, mankind, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever, that's available to everyone, believing in him, should not perish, but have everlasting life. That sacrifice has been made available for everyone. But can I tell you something tonight that's not said very often in Baptist pulpits? Because it's, uh, it, it takes some explaining. This passage explains it, so I'll say it here. Do you know there are people walking around this planet right now that, yes, at one point the sacrifice was available to them, but it's been taken off the table for good. There are some people, they, they just, at this point, they cannot be saved. Because, and let me, I'm going to explain this, let me qualify it. They have the knowledge of the truth. Letter A, the knowledge of the truth. But then letter B, notice the rejection of the truth. The rejection of the truth. Having the knowledge of the truth does not mean you're saved. Having the knowledge of the truth just means you understand the components of the gospel. The knowledge of the truth, letter A, the rejection of the truth, letter B. We had the knowledge of the gospel, but we rejected the gospel. We walked right up to it, 
We understood that all are sinners. We understood that God sent sinners to hell. We understood that Jesus Christ died on the cross. We understood that uh, I must put my faith and trust in Christ for my salvation. And I must depend on Him and Him alone. But that heart exercise of faith never took place. Instead, they had a head knowledge... But they reject it. Now, usually in the New Testament, when you find the word knowledge, there is a Greek word that's used regularly that is not the Greek word used here in verse number 26. The Greek word used here in verse 26 is the word epignosis, which means this. It means what is known, definite knowledge, full Knowledge. This isn't just some general knowledge of the truth. This is a full-blown, deep understanding of the gospel of Jesus Christ. They know it here, but they've never believed here. They've rejected it here. The components of apostasy. Listen, uh, an apostate, apostate is someone who knows, but rejects. They know but they reject. By the way, many apostates have rejected covertly, but they have not. Uh, they have not rejected overtly. They want everyone else to think that they're believers, but inwardly they know they're not. I, I, I think when we get to heaven one day, uh, and we we have the two judgments, we have the great white throne judgment for the lost and the judgment seat for the saved. I think some of us are going to be shocked at who is at what judgment. Now, uh, the Bible talks about working out our own salvation with fear and trembling. And so I'm going to ask you to do that right now. I'm going to ask you to make sure that you are saved. I'm not trying to cast doubt in anybody's minds. That's not what I'm here to do. I don't want to use scare tactics to make you doubt your salvation. But here's what I do want to do. Are you sure that there has been that moment where you believe with your heart? Where you put your full weight, your full trust your full reliance in the person of Jesus to save you? Or was it just that you have a head knowledge? Oh, there are so many 18-year-olds that leave church and never come back because at four, they had a knowledge of truth, but they never actually exercised a heart of faith. They grow up sitting on a pew, but by 16, they're bored to tears of preaching. They want nothing more than to get as far away from church as possible. Now, I'm not painting with a broad brush. Every situation is unique. But I do believe there are going to be a lot of people in hell one day who went to Sunday school at four, five, six, seven, eight years old. Because they heard it, but they never actually believed it. Rejection of the truth. You make sure tonight that you're not just playing some game. You make sure tonight that you're not just attending here because it's what you've always done. You make sure this evening that you not only have a knowledge of the truth... But you have outright accepted it within your heart. Let number two notice the consequences of apostasy. Why? Well, verse 26 gives us the warning. And verse 27 down through verse 31 tells us what's going to happen. Um, uh, Look at verse 27 with me. It says, But a certain fearful looking for of judgment and fiery indignation, which shall devour the adversaries. He that despiseth Moses' law died without mercy under two or three witnesses. Of how much sore punishment suppose ye shall he be through uh, uh, thought worthy, who shall trodden underfoot the Son of God, and hath counted the blood of the covenant wherewith he was sanctified in a holy thing, and hath done despite under the Spirit of grace? 
For we know him that hath said, Vengeance belongeth unto me. I will recompense, saith the Lord. And again, the Lord shall judge his people. It, it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands uh, of, uh, of, a li- of the living God. Notice letter A, Old Testament rejection of government brought death. Rejection of government brought death. Look at me back at verse number 28. We see an example here given from the Old Testament. He that despised whose law? Whose law? Look at it. Verse 28. He that despised Moses' law. Um, Moses' law, what happened to him? He died without mercy under two or three witnesses. Two or three witnesses. Go back with me over to Deuteronomy chapter 17, and we see where this uh, verse is pulled from out of the Old Testament. This is very important that we see this this evening. And I'm going to pull a contrast from the Old Testament to the New Testament. Hebrew or De- Deuteronomy chapter number 17, and look with me uh, from verse 2 down through verse 7. It says, If there be found uh, among you within any of thy gates, which the Lord thy God giveth thee, man or woman, that hath wrought wickedness in the sight of the Lord thy God in transgressing the covenant, and hath gone and served other gods and worshipped them. Notice the apostasy here. They've walked away from the true God, and now they're worshipping false gods. Um, either the sun or moon or any of the hosts of heaven, which I have commanded. And it, it be told thee, and thou hast heard of it, and inquired diligently, and behold, it be true. And the, the thing certain that such abomination is wrought in Israel. Uh, th- then, then shalt thou bring forth that man or that woman, which hath committed that wicked thing unto thy gates, even the man or that woman, and, uh, and shalt stone them with stones till they die at the mouth of two witnesses, or three witnesses shall he that is worthy of death be put to death, but at the mouth of one witness he shall not be put to death. Uh, the hands of the witnesses shall be first upon him to put him to death, and afterwards that the hands of the people, so thou shalt put the evil away from among you. So, wow. If you were to go off and serve some false idol, you were to go violate Moses' law and be an apostate, the punishment was that you were to be summoned to physical death. And so we, we see a contrast here. Here we're told that the consequences in the Old Testament was death of the body. But notice letter B. In the New Testament, the rejection of grace brought damnation. The rejection of grace brought damnation. Look with me at uh, verse number 27 again. But a certain fearful looking for of judgment and fiery indignation. Notice that. Fiery indignation. Which shall devour the adversaries. What, where is that describing? That's talking about going to hell. This person who has the knowledge of Jesus and what he did for them and rejects it they're, they're, they're lining themselves up to be guaranteed hell. Look at 29. Again, 28's put there to just give us some, some context. We're to set a baseline, if you will. Look at verse 29. Of, of how much sore punishment. Suppose ye shall he be thought worthy who hath trodden underfoot the Son of God. Uh, um, uh, rather, right, the Son of God, and hath counted the blood of the covenant, wherewith he was sanctified, an unholy thing, and hath done despite under the Spirit of grace. Wow. What's he saying here? To, to tramp, to, to, to hear the gospel and to trample it underfoot. Oh my. To do that intentionally, you are bringing upon yourself damnation. Many times, many, many times in my life, I have sat with 
or stood at a door or on a sidewalk or, 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 or alongside at a table or in a bus station many, many times, sometimes on an airplane, and I've given somebody a lengthy, lengthy explanation of the gospel. I've answered their questions. I've gone through and taken 30, 40 minutes, sometimes an hour and a half up to explaining to them the gospel, answering their questions. They have a full knowledge of the gospel. And I get down to the end and I say, are you ready to accept the gift of eternal life? And they look at me and they say, no. And every time I feel the same thing in my heart. What? Are you serious? I was out soul winning with other Osgood, our missionary, our missionary that spoke to us a few weeks back. We knocked on the door of a young lady named Ashley. Ashley came to the door. Brother Osgood took about 45 minutes and gave one of the clearest presentations of the gospel that I have ever heard anybody to give. I walked away and said, whoa, that man is a great soul winner. He got down to the end. Ashley answered every question. He asked her thought-provoking questions. In fact, he asked her more questions than I've ever seen any soul winner ever ask anyone. She knew the gospel inside and out, upside and down. He looked at her and said, are you ready to put your faith and trust in Christ? And she said, no, I'm not. And he said, well, do you believe that Jesus died for you? And she said, yes. He said, do you believe that if you called on his name, he'd take your sins away? She said, yes. He said, will you do it? She said, no. He said, why? She said, I don't feel like it. That's the knowledge of the truth and then the rejection of the truth. Now, I don't believe that God just strips the sacrifice off the table the first time. But, oh, you better be careful. Oh, you better be careful. You reject the grace of God. And I believe you do that enough times. God takes the sacrifice away where you cannot even get saved. Jay Barone stood up here behind this pulpit before he left. And he told the story of a co-worker of his that he witnessed to and witnessed to and witnessed to. And every time he'd get to the point where it's time for her to pray and get saved, he said you could see the conviction just dripping off of her. She knew she needed to do it, but one reason or another, she just didn't do it. He said that they parted ways with work and he went and worked somewhere else and she worked somewhere else and a mutual co-worker of theirs had died and they saw each other at a funeral. Years later, he went up to her and, and, and asked her if she'd ever put her faith and trust in Christ and the one heart that had been tender and open and would come and inquire and ask questions and had walked up to the door of salvation but wouldn't walk in now her heart was hardened her face was cold she had no desire to even talk about it why I believe based on his description of the events that the sacrifice had been taken away and now the Holy Spirit of God is no longer drawing her to salvation there is no sacrifice for sin and someone who knows and rejects and knows and rejects and knows and rejects boy they're walking a line where once that sacrifice is taken away it isn't their body that's going to be killed in death it is their soul that will be that will be damned in hell they will burn in hell forever the bible talks about it a fiery indignation it is a it is verse 31 look there it says it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living god every now and then i'll preach a hard-hitting sermon to the 
regular attendees of this church about not being a phony, about not playing games, about not pretending to be a Christian. I wonder how many Christians hear a sermon like that and they're not saved, but they can't get saved because the sacrifice has been taken away. Here's what I want to finish with tonight. I know that I know everyone in here. I know you by name. I've had conversations with everyone in the room. I I think each of you are saved. Here's the truth. I don't know that any of you are saved. I know that I'm saved, but I don't know that any of the rest of you are saved. There are some evidences in many of your lives that would seem to indicate that you are. But I don't know that. Anyone can fool anyone. This is January 1st of 2020. Boy, if the Spirit of God is still touching your heart, if that conviction is still there, I wouldn't push it off even one more time. I wouldn't play Russian roulette with the Spirit of God. I wouldn't do it. Whatever the reason has been that's been keeping you from salvation, is it really, is it really that important to you? A reputation's a concern. There are other concerns. Hey, let's set all those to the side and say, all to Jesus I surrender. All to Him I freely give. Hey, I'm not only going to know the truth, I'm going to believe the truth. I'm going to believe it with my heart of hearts. I'm going to put my faith in Jesus. Let's have our heads bowed and eyes closed. We'll get to points three and four next week. You know, I I care far more about your soul than I do anything else. I care far more about you coming to salvation than anything else. It doesn't matter if you are a deacon's wife, if you are a pastor's wife. It doesn't matter if you have sang specials or sung in the choir. It doesn't matter if you've been coming to this church for 30 days or 30 years or 40 years. We're reminded to work out our own salvation with fear and trembling. And as we enter this new year, hey, January 1, let's just look back down in there, look back down in your heart, and let's just make sure we truly are believers, that we're not just having a knowledge of the truth. We have full-blown accepted the truth. Is there one here this evening that would humble their heart? And I'm not trying to make anyone that's saved think that they're lost. That's not the purpose of this tonight. But if you're here tonight and you know you're not saved, you, you know you're not saved, is there one here tonight say, Pastor, would you pray for me that I'll get this thing settled right here, right now, that I will answer the convicting of the Spirit of God and call on His name with a heart of faith? Is there one here tonight say, Pastor, would you please pray for me? If that's you, would you just hold up your hand? Everyone close your eyes, please. Is there one? Is there one? Boy, I sure hope all of you were saved. Hey, can we do this this evening? Can we take a minute right where we are in our pew? And can we ask? I see that hand. I I thank you for that honesty. Can we take a moment right here where we are in the pew, the rest of you that didn't raise your hand? And can you pray that the Lord would purify our church doctrinally? Can you pray that if there is someone who is part of our membership that isn't saved, that they'll get saved this year? That they'll no longer reject or resist, but that they'll come to the Lord? To the one that raised your hand, I hope I can 
catch up with you after church and we can talk. I'd love to sit with you in my office or here in the front pew and help you to accept the Lord with your heart and not just with your head. Lord, tonight as we close out the service, Lord God, would you help us to be honest with our own heart. May we not just receive truth, but Lord, may we live it. Lord, help us to be Christians who care deeply about truth. Truth is always right. It doesn't change. It's not malleable. It doesn't bend or fold or, or morph to the day uh, uh, or the time or the culture. Truth is just always truth. Sometimes it offends, but truth is always truth. And Lord, for that one that raised his hand for salvation, may he get that thing settled this evening. In Jesus' name.